This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, a podcast brought to you by two physical therapists devoted to helping physical therapists and other healthcare providers become better educators to patients, students, the community, and each other by interviewing prominent and passionate people within the realms of healthcare and education. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast is intended literally for educational and entertainment purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source, and therefore, this podcast should not be used as personal medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure accuracy, occasionally, mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. This is our journey on the road to becoming better educators, so get ready with your pen and paper as class is about to begin. Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Feel, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Brandon Pone. We're amped up to talk technology and education today with the one and only Rob Vining. Rob is a PT working on his 14th year of practice who has worked in nearly every setting, nine years in outpatient with some time spent helping an acute and inpatient, uh, and working in a flexible home health setting over the last five years. He's been creating software and disrupting industries even before starting PT school. Anyone looking for a great story, uh, go ahead and Google Rob Vining, David vs. Goliath. Uh, He co-hosts and produces the podcast PT Tech Talk with Dave Kittle, where they discuss the intersection of physical therapy and technology and the futuristic view of the profession. Rob and the tech-savvy design wizard Sarah Vining co-founded the patient engagement platform found at www.ptlive.me, where over 150 physical therapists answer high-level questions from potential patients and automatically schedule evaluations with a push of a button using their smartphone. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. We are so grateful for all that you've done in the tech world um, and the world of physical therapy through your podcast with Dave Kittle. Um, He was another former guest of ours, Um, and really for all the help you've given us as we've tried to get this podcast up and running. um, I realize we kept your bio relatively brief, but is there anything else you'd like the audience to know about you that we may have failed to mention? First off, say you guys have more than succeeded at making this podcast a a reality, and it's so beneficial. The ones that I've listened to so far, they're really, really great. So any help I provided you guys completely, it's worth it. Um, As far as my bio is concerned, I used to play football back at uh, Texas State University, and I always say I was uh, the the tackling dummy that got run over repeatedly by 300-pound linemen, kind of boost their self-esteem, but uh, the good part about that was, well, not the best part, but I did get hurt, but that's where I kind of ran into the field of physical therapy and decided that was going to be my career. Nice, Rob. And you know, I know you've kind of moved on to a bit more of the entrepreneurial role as the owner of PT Live, but... You know, could you walk our audience through a normal work day for you and, you know, kind of, are you still seeing patients clinically at all? Yeah. Yeah. That's the the best part of doing the home health setting is you've got that flexibility. So it, it kind of allows me to, you know, see a patient, but if I have to schedule a meeting with a potential software customer, I can, um, if I have to, you know, answer questions or provide customer service and support, I can do that as well. Um, nobody in home health really wants to be seen before 10 a.m., so that allows me to, you know, work with my development crew till way in the wee, wee early hours of the morning. Um, and that's just something I couldn't do working in the outpatient setting. Um, I just, I, I don't want to take myself out of the patient care. I just really, really like that patient interaction and, and just helping people. That's kind of the whole thing this summer. Like I was on Instagram, got on there this summer and, and you know, posting stories late at night at 2 a.m. kind of describing the process. 
Uh, my wife pretty much says I'm a workaholic, but I just, I love creating things and helping people. Yeah, man, that's great. And I, I totally agree with you, man. There's no better feeling in the world than helping people. So, you know, Rob, we asked Dave this when he was on the podcast a few weeks back. And what are some of your favorite technology um, that you have seen coming up in the world of healthcare? Or who were some of the most interesting guests that you have had on your show so far? Um, I say some of my favorite guests and episodes we've had on PT Tech Talk are the ones that really focus on telehealth. Um, I think if you look at the numbers, you'll see anything in our, our episodes that say telehealth, those have the most views. I think people are itching to get more information on that in the PT health field. And if you Google like PT Tech Talk and telehealth, you'll find episodes that pop up with like Darwin Fote, David Grigsby, um, our recent one with Julie Weeb. Um, we talked about the possibilities and current best practices of using telehealth in the PT field. Those are some of my favorites. And and then as far as new technology goes, I'd say Darwin and the crew over at eWellness, they're really working under the radar when it comes to technology and, and using telehealth. I mean, they've created prehab programs. They're doing telehealth with PTs coming in the system that want to do telehealth. And this guy, I mean, he's running outpatient clinics. He's running a public company that's focused on scaling treatments in a way that it provides physical therapy at scale. And I think that's going to be really important. We don't need another home exercise program or, you know, the, the 50th digital anatomy app. And we need something that will bring physical therapy to patients with more of an on-demand convenience. And that's what eWellness is working on and they've accomplished. I really, really love those guys. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob. Uh, I'd like to kind of change gears a little bit and talk about the realm of healthcare informatics. For our audience wondering what that is, health informatics is a term describing the acquiring, storing, and retrieving uh, and using of healthcare information to foster better collaboration amongst the patient's various healthcare providers, right? Now, this is an area of education that's really starting to gain some momentum. There's a bunch of master's programs out there and even a couple of PhD programs. Uh, what are your thoughts on technology and the direction we're heading with our healthcare information? Yeah, good question. I was I was just reading an article the other day, actually, on this, and it was talking about the downfall of our system, kind of where we're at now versus several years back, and just moving towards requiring hospitals and everybody in the medical profession to transition from paper chart systems to electronic medical records and the High Tech Act of 2009, it created a policy that required the transition and the use of EMR for healthcare practices, but the act, it didn't give any standard protocols for those EMR systems. It just created kind of a, not necessarily a train wreck, it, it just didn't create the best environment. It created issues where we can't really exchange information between EMR systems. And just to put that in perspective, if you imagine computers, you know, USB is a standard, right? And that took all the computer companies that were making computers back in the day. They had to get together in, I think, 94, 95 and figure out this standard of how to connect peripherals. And I'm almost 40. And, and back when we had our first computer, when I was a kid, we had so many gadgets and connections to just to make the peripherals plug in and work properly. And those major players like Apple, Microsoft, Intel, Compaq, HP, those people in the computer manufacturing industry, they all got together and they collaborated and designed the USB interface. And it simplified everything really early in the computer industry. It just creates such a nightmare not having a standard 
I guess. And it's, it's, it's nice that they're EMRs that are large, but they still don't really play that well together and with outside software as well. And then the more frustrating thing is that, you know, patients and healthcare providers, they get really frustrated with having to fill out the same information all the time. But those are kind of the doom and gloom. What are kind of the <laughs> good things in that? If you can let me in on that one. Yeah, I, I remembered when I was uh, working in outpatient for a hospital setting and we switched from paper to Epic and Epic was a pretty decent system for the nursing side of things. But for physical therapy, it was a disaster. It was like we were basically writing all our notes from, from hand, except we were doing it online, you know, in the computer version, because they just didn't have a structure set up for us. Um, it was basically writing a nursing note in physical therapy. So I know that's come a long way since then, but uh, it just wasn't very user-friendly on, on the big transition. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you make a good point, Rob, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of good platforms and EMR systems out there, but the problem is a lot of them don't have the same one between systems or networks that a patient may provide. And, you know, that difficulty to kind of really kind of communicate and kind of merge those databases together so that the patient, you know, so all that information is there and easily accessible to everyone would definitely, definitely make it easier. I'm kind of curious on that note. Do you see any of the programs in those regards? Do you see them collaborating to try to help solve this problem? There's some attempt to do that. It's super expensive. So think about the time that it would take to sell into one enterprise software company. And I know this from personal experience. It takes six months just to get the process started to where they take you seriously. So imagine, you know, there's 300 to a thousand different EMR systems. Literally, there's that many in the healthcare field. And to have all of those and to try and be one company that can hook all of those together, it would, <laughs> I mean, it would take about 500 years to get that done. So it's kind of crazy. But the shock with all this is that patients care more about filling out, you know, another dozen forms versus keeping their healthcare information private. So if you gave a patient and you can, I mean, literally tomorrow, go and ask your patient this. If you gave them the choice of having either completely private information or not having to fill out, you know, 20 pages when they walk into a doctor's office or a specialist's office, you would be completely shocked that so many of them are like, I hate filling out paperwork. They're given that clipboard and you can just see them, their shoulders droop and they just wah wah and they they hate filling out that paperwork but i i just really think that overall we've dropped the ball at at making it convenient for patients to not only have that information across all of the professionals in the medical industry that they see but it's not convenient for them to even access their records i mean it's completely crazy that i can complete bank transactions transfers i can deposit checks i can wire business transactions overseas using my phone, but I still can't walk into an office without having to fill out pages of paper forms that then the office worker has to take and digitally input manually into their system after I'm done. So it's just the, the security with no protocols in place, just prior to saying that everybody needs to be on an EMR, um, like we discussed early, just it really squashes any chance of doing things correctly. A quick side story, if you if you look at the country of Estonia, Estonia is this little tiny country that, you know, kind of broke off from Russia and then completely took everything in a digital direction. Um, and you look what they've accomplished with their healthcare system. Everything is secured, but it's accessible. And they've been such early adopters of even, you know, blockchain technology, 
for more substantial security, that's really some of the best security you can have, even better than, you know, SSL security, which is a high level in encryption, but blockchain technology makes it even more secure than that. So each patient in Estonia has a specific card that allows that free flowing access to all their information. And a patient can literally look online and see who's looked at their medical records, when they looked at their medical records, and then they can question why that certain healthcare professional who they might not know ever took a peek at their record. And that really keeps everybody honest. It's that transparency and it allows for the patients to have that complete control without creating a bottleneck, kind of like we have here in the U.S. Yeah, that really puts the U.S. on notice, man. We got we to gotta get with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big time. So, Rob, what are some technological advancements that you've seen in the healthcare field that uh, could be implemented into our healthcare educational programs that might be able to help students learn more efficiently? I'd say the number one thing I've seen, um, but I really haven't heard it being used much, is the offsite viewing of multiple clinicians treating patients. Um, It makes sense to expose students to like, you know, a hundred different clinicians treating similar injuries. So let's say go into your clinical setting, you're given this narrow view of how the profession treats different pathologies. And what's worse is if you're unlucky and you have a, a subpar clinical instructor, you have no idea that other clinicians treat differently and have better outcomes. It's not like you get 20 different clinicals in outpatient settings to see so many different, you know, points of view on how certain injuries are treated. Like, for example, during one of my clinicals, um, I had a strict manual-based outpatient clinician who was a a guru, and he kind of slammed other treatment methods. And then months later, I went into my next outpatient clinical, and I kind of had this bias, and I only knew what this guru had taught me. But then I saw my new CI at this outpatient setting treating patients with the exact same injuries, and they were getting better faster, they were getting better in fewer visits, and it was a completely different method. And that seriously opened my eyes to the problems of of having only a few CIs and a select number of clinical settings. I always kind of wondered what would have happened if my final clinical would have been with that guru, if, if it would have shaped me differently as a clinician. And, and that experience reinforced the need for a much wider variety and seeing other clinicians treating patients. Like I said, if you if you had the chance as a clinician, as a student especially, to see a hundred different people treated back, you would have such a different Rolodex of this. But we aren't there yet. But I know it's going to help tremendously when it becomes a reality in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that at the very least gives us repetitions and, and, and different kind of avenues to kind of watch several clinicians treat in several different ways. But what do you think it would take to implement something like that? Because, you know, at that point, you're you're obviously you've got to have some sort of HIPAA waiver, so to speak, right? Then they walk into uh, maybe a clinic. And and what do you think the clinic would need? Is it like a whole classroom sitting there watching this one clinician treat? Is it, you know, what do you think would be the optimal setup for that? I I think we could probably take a page from uh, Australia. Like they have telehealth as a course pretty much in in the majority of their their education platforms. And I feel like we need to take a page from their playbook. The the hard part is that great telehealth treatment, it's kind of distilled from knowing what you can and can't treat. Um, I feel that if we just had that setup of maybe uh, clinicians had, you know, a couple of different cameras or they had a single camera and it had, you know, a, a speaker in it or a microphone in it where the student could actually sit there and watch and see what that clinician was doing. And then afterwards, you know, have like a, a five minute question and answer with the clinician and kind of pick their brain real quick. 
and then click a button and bam, now you're in a whole different state. You're watching a totally different practitioner, but it somehow matches you up with another low back pain patient is now going to be seen with similar symptoms. If we could do that, it would just, I think it would break open the mind of having any sort of gurus, you know, and that was a a hard part of me coming out of school is there was this guru mentality of, well, I follow this guy. Well, I follow this guy. And then you have conflict and that's never better for the patient. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think that's really interesting, Rob. I think that's an interesting point. And I think that could have a couple other benefits too, because, you know, A, you know, with clinician and then with a student in the same room, Obviously, there might be a little bit of some reactivity going on from the clinician and the patient regarding, and then you could take that out with, you know, the student watching just at a distance so they're not intruding in any way. Also, it makes it a lot easier for the clinician. You know, they just have to click a button and stuff rather than go through the introduction, go through all these things. And, you know, I see definitely see some pros in that way as well. So, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I really think our profession has to realize that with telehealth, And not only just for the clinical setting, but just treating patients in general, our profession has to realize there's certain patients that want on-demand care. And we already have all these tools in place and available to us. But for some reason, the profession is either scared to use them or they don't because it's not reimbursed by insurance. You know, if we use the classical Jerry Durham statement, meet the patients where they're at, you know, we can provide as physical therapists an awesome patient experience. Even if we have to triage them and see them for half an hour, listen to their story and then, you know, triage them and get them to the proper professional and never treat them personally. This model allows us to play a huge part in the medical care that most most patients aren't getting these days when it comes to treatable musculoskeletal issues, even surgical recovery after a total hip or knee. Uh, I think that's really the reasons that I like Uber and Lyft. It's speed and convenience. And those reasons just really apply to the medical field as well. We've got to pick up on that. Yeah, it's definitely ridiculous that I can't call in somebody at, you know, two in the morning when my kid's throwing up and have like a quick, you know, rundown on do I need to come in or not, you know. And I mean, it blows my mind that we're so far behind in the in the medical field with some sort of – because really when it comes down to it, Uber and, and Lyft and all of those – they're not really selling better taxi service, right? They're they're selling time yes. and convenience, right? Exactly. And, and and it is such an inconvenience for me to get my whole family up, get the baby dressed, get you know, and drive to an urgent care at two a.m. When it turns out, you know, oh, it's just a fever. She's fine. It would be so much smoother, I think, if we just kind of got with the time, so to speak, as far as the the medical profession, and and just let us do what we know how to do, right? Let us treat the patients. Let us let us put our best foot forward and and try to literally solve some of the problems these these people are having. Yeah, you know, I don't think it would take too much as far as implementation, right? Because the technology is already out there for all of these other apps and, and these other businesses. So now it's just a matter of getting some of the, like I said, the HIPAA red tape and the legalities ironed out. Um, and I think, you know, telehealth has definitely got us on the cusp of that. Right. Um, Absolutely. But I know at the end of the day, it comes down to reimbursement and reimbursement, it, it, we're the only business that I can think of that 
reimburses, right? You can't go to a grocery store and, and take out some, some groceries and then say, Oh, I'll reimburse you for this. You know, yeah. like the, no, you, you pay for that. Right. right. Yeah. Well, why, why are we not doing this in the medical field? Why are we not paying for our services? Right. I mean, especially something as important as health and medicine. Right. Yeah. And the simple way to even look at it, look at dentistry. I mean, dentistry is the prime example of people paying large amounts of cash because they need their teeth. If a, if a dentist looks at a tooth that's just crumbling and says, I want to save this, I want to do a filling on this, but in my estimation, I really think it won't last you more than, you know, six months. But we can do a crown where we really get in there, extract the tooth, put in a new one. You know, we can do all these different options and it'll last you, you know, a decade or more. It'll cost more, but you know, we can get you on a payment plan and everybody, you know, nobody really bats an eyelash on that. But in the physical therapy field, I almost wonder if it's half the time us being like, eh, I don't, I don't want to ask them for money. But if, if we just look at the, the cash pay clinics that are out there, it's, it's an easy model to take a peek at and transition that into a telehealth model combined with a cash pay clinic or, you know, it, it, there's just so many options we need to look at to actually make the convenience factor and the speed factor a reality. And we've just got to get out of the mindset of, oh, I do something for money and it, it makes me feel bad that I have to charge them. Well, yes, that's what a job is. That's how a business runs, you know? Right, right, exactly. And, I, you know, health and wellness has become so important to me and my family. That's the one thing I do not mind paying out-of-pocket cash, whatever it takes to, right. to make sure it gets taken care of. right. Yeah, you're right. And especially even so, you know, with looking at those different models, you know, Robin, what you talked about before, I mean, the bottom line is, I don't think re insurance reimbursement is going to go up anytime soon. <laughs> no. I mean, it hasn't for the past how many years? No. Yeah. It, it's completely been chopped, you know, over the last couple decades. If you look at reimbursement rates, there's never a massive spike. Oh, yay. This year we got 50% more for our services. No, no, that's not how this works. Insurance companies, you know, they're taking on many more customers. So, of course, they're a business. So if they have more customers, they have to have more staff, more support services and customer service and, you know, mid to high level management to help with all of this. So they have to have more income and that's going to equate to cutting the amount they're paying for services. So it's it's a math equation in a chart. If you're looking at it visibly, you can see this is slowly going to zero. Not now, of course, but yeah. we have to get we have to get ready for that eventuality that insurance companies are going to pay so little, like in the chiropractic field. Chiropractors got completely cut out of Medicare um, to where they were getting you know a certain amount, and then it just became unsustainable. So most of them had to go cash pay. So it's something we're going to have to look at as well in the physical therapy field. Yeah, for sure. And Rob, I'm kind of curious with you, with your insight from what you've been talking with all the guests on your podcast before about um, telehealth. Do you think you could kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, how the reimbursement for that actually works for those, you know, who aren't sure about it, who are kind of maybe skeptical about it because they're not sure what they're going to get from a financial gain on it? Yeah. The one episode that we had that uh, that helped with that was with David Grigsby. So he does a model, it has telehealth in it, but it's cash pay for the telehealth portion. So they're able to do it that way. With insurance, there's been a group therapy modifier. Um, in our episode with Darwin, 
uh, folk, we went into that a little bit. And it's more of a group therapy charge because you're seeing multiple patients at once through their telehealth system, but it's it's not on parity yet. So anything that gets paid for a Therex visit would not get paid equally for doing that virtually. So we're all kind of sitting on our hands right now, waiting for that to go through. It's tough because we know it's useful, but the majority of us are sitting on our hands waiting for that parity act to go through, which by the way, there's no guarantees that's going to happen. So it's, it might have a long way to go. Interesting. That's very interesting, man. Rob, thanks for everything that you've said tonight. And I think it's provided a lot of value to, to me. And I've definitely learned some new stuff as always with every episode. Thank you for that. And you know, we like to wrap up each episode with this question as we always ask all of our guests this. So the question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, uh, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Uh, good question. I think I'd, I'd completely, like we had talked about earlier, I would completely change the current clinical rotation model. Um, I would suggest something like a, a multi-month technology telehealth-based clinical where the student utilizes technology and watches multiple clinicians treat the same injury category um, kind of with a short five-minute Q&A with that clinician after each treatment. I think it would expand the student's treatment Rolodex. I mean, essentially that would squash all the clinical gurus out there, which would make students think critically about proper assessment, information gathering through, you know, efficient and caring patient communication and proper treatment philosophy. Um, and just basically bring the focus back on the patient where it belongs. Yeah, I love that idea, Rob. The only thing I would say with that would be um, at the end of the day, we still got to get our hands on people, you know. Um, I do like the idea of repetitions and seeing different styles, like expanding our uh, intake as far as that goes, you know, but at the end of the day, they still got to get in the clinic and get their, their hands on people. Oh, absolutely. We do use the hands. That's a, that's a huge portion is the hands on treatment. So. Well, absolutely. And did you guys see the, what they're going to be voting on in the, in November regarding the changes to education and clinical education that they're voting on? Have you guys heard about that? No, I've seen I've seen the vote coming up. Um, it looks like there's a lot of things that that are going to be. Voted oh yeah, oh yeah. That there's are a lot very of very impactful for the future. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think I get what they're trying to get at because they are kind of in a way trying to help this. Rob, I mean, they're not doing the technology aspect like you said, but they're definitely trying to get longer clinicals and shorten the DPT program a little bit and have some time more for you know, kind of a built-in residency with it. So kind of that mandated residency component of as well. And there's a couple other things as well they're going to be voting on. But um, if you want, I can post, I can give that to you, man. I thought it was very interesting to see. And, you know, they're taking feedback right now. So oh, absolutely. I think it'd be a really good thing to read up for, you know, everyone in this, everyone for the matter. And then, you yeah, know. we can, we can put that link up in the show notes. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast tonight. Um, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about where they can find you online and on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, everybody, feel free to reach out to me. I'm I'm really taken to Instagram right now. Um, just search for PT Live Guy, and then I'm always finding and sharing like health and technology posts on a LinkedIn. So you can just search for Rob Vining PT. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Anytime. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. 
And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.